Hello, and welcome to Being Boss, a podcast for creative entrepreneurs. I'm Emily Thompson. And I'm Kathleen Shannon. I am Bridget Lyons, and I am Being Boss. Today, we're talking about PR and pitching yourself to get on podcasts with Bridget Lyons. As always, you can find all the tools, books, and links we reference on the show notes at www.beingboss.club. I know that we have a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs and side hustlers listening to the show. So if you're sitting there thinking about becoming your own boss, there is a good chance that your idea of how challenging it will be won't exactly match up with the reality of how challenging it's actually going to be. Now, this is not an attempt to talk you out of it. In fact, it is the exact opposite because there is so much amazing help available. You've just got to know where to look. So our friends at FreshBooks make it ridiculously easy to do cloud accounting for small businesses, and they have helped millions of folks just like you make the brave leap to being their own bosses. With FreshBooks, you can create and send perfect-looking invoices in less than 30 seconds. You can also take photos of your receipts from your phone, which makes managing your expenses a million times easier. Now, to see how FreshBooks can support you in becoming your own boss, we want to offer our listeners an unrestricted 30-day free trial. Just go to freshbooks.com slash beingboss and enter being boss in the how did you hear about us section. Bridget Lyons is the founder of Bee, a boutique PR and marketing agency that helps forward thinkers and purpose-driven companies refine their message and reach their ideal audience with their work. Her agency works predominantly with emerging thought leaders on book launches, podcast bookings, and honing their message. But she's also a big proponent of pitching yourself and that it's an essential boss skill, whether you want to get more visibility for your work or simply land more client projects. Bridget, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh my gosh, this is like such an incredible treat. When I started working with you guys, I never imagined that I would actually also get to be on your podcast. Well, of course. So I should tell our listeners that you are our PR. Okay, can we just clear something up? I hear people say, like, how do I refer to you? Do I say like this? Because I hear some people just say this is our PR or my PR, but do I say PR? This is my PR gal. This is my PR person. Like, how do you say it? Who are you, Bridget? It's so who confusing. are you? To us? Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you- <laughs> I totally know what you're talking about. And like another word people use that I've never used for myself, but I've started using a little bit is publicist. But I hate that fucking word. Um, I think you should just call me like the PR rep for your book. PR rep. Okay, because I totally call you PR girl. Which, That's- now that I'm saying it out loud, is probably not the most <laughs> boss thing I could call you. PR rep, yeah. But PR rep sounds good. I like that. Or like the head of our PR agency. Ooh. Because there are more than me working on you, although you guys only just see me. And even if my agency is only like three people, you know. That's what it is. <laughs> right? That sounds fancy pants. I like it. I got called out by Jessica Mernan the other day by saying, like, I, I hired a stylist to help me with my wardrobe. And she was like, oh, my gosh, you sound like such, such a snob. I would feel like way more snobby being like, well, my publicist. <laughs> OK, so you're our publicist or the head of our PR. PR use PR rep before publicist. Publicist, okay. I don't okay. like. Okay. She doesn't so, like that one, Kathleen. Don't use that one. That one is very Samantha Jones. And I feel like it's um, a publicist does less than what I do. They have less skills. 
Oh, okay. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and dive in. So you are helping us with the PR for our book, but let's go ahead and talk about now that we've defined what to call you, kind of, (laughs) let's talk about what you do. So what does someone like yourself do? Yeah. Well, I can't believe, did I just say that in recording? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And good. Please continue. (laughs) All right. Wow. I hope I don't get any hate mail from that. Um, so let me kind of expand on that and what, what it is that somebody like me, a PR person, does. So one of the things that we do in PR is we work a lot on our clients' kind of general communication strategy. And so when I think about actually the difference between a PR person and like what a publicist is or, you know, somebody who is just doing straight publicity and media relations work is that a PR person ultimately is really focused on your positioning, your market positioning. And this has been changing a lot. So PR people historically have focused very tightly on traditional media relations. My background is in like corporate and actually political PR. And so I did work with like Chicago Tribune and CNN and Bloomberg in my past life. Um, And those are the kinds of things that people usually associate PR with. But the media is changing and who we view as influential to our audiences are changing. And so Nowadays, we're looking at people's reputation management, their messaging in relation to a lot of different kind of audiences and trying to coordinate all of that. Um, Another thing that I think a PR person does is in some ways serves this very like bipolar role for our clients. So on one hand, I have to be your biggest fan and ultimate cheerleader, right? Like we need to get really hyped about the work that you're doing. And on the other hand, I can't buy into all the hype, right? Because if I'm going to be positioning you and selling you, whether it's to the media or an influencer or even helping you messaging your own audience, whatever it is, like we need to also take a really hard and realistic look at how the audience is perceiving things and what they're really going to care about. And so sometimes I feel like my job is almost that of a translator of like, what are the things we as the team are most hyped and excited about? And then why are other people going to care? And it does, it really feels a little bit like a split personality sometimes when we're working with clients. You know, one thing that I like about working with you and just our relationship, and even Emily and I, we experienced this as we were writing the book and giving it to our editor and our agent. We like kind of took off the kid gloves. We were like, just give it to us straight. What's working? What's not? We'd almost rather know in a lot of ways. And especially I found I really want to know whenever it comes to my inner circle and the people that I trust the most. So other branding or other branding experts um, that I'm close with. So I'm talking about my sister here over at Braid or, you know, Emily, whenever we're writing together and now you, Bridget, whenever it comes to helping us handle our PR, I think that it's so important just to be able to say, hey, this isn't going to work, right? Or this isn't interesting or we need to figure out really why this matters. And so one thing that I want to just encourage our listeners to do is to find that team of support around you that is going to tell you like it is. And these people are not haters. They're not cynics. They're the people who have shared goals with you and want to do the best work possible to make those goals happen. So I want to come back to you, Bridget, and what it is that you are doing all day. So like, what are some of the roles and duties involved with your job? Like what on any given day, what does your job look like? 
Yeah, well, it's kind of complex because I'm in this position right now where I'm building up an agency. And so I have kind of all the role of managing and marketing a business and managing a team, which I actually love that part of it. And then I'm still doing a lot of the day-to-day client work. And so those are very, I try to actually batch those out by day. So I'm, you know, not doing all those. So I'll talk about the client work because your audience probably knows a lot more about what it's like to run a business than what it is like to do PR for a client. Um, so on any given day, what I'm doing is um, researching kind of different opportunities and staying up to date with all the different kinds of media that are coming out. Um, my company has transitioned in the last few years. So we used to do more traditional PR outreach to like Fast Company, Entrepreneur, Forbes, and things like that. And we almost exclusively do podcast bookings right now. So booking our clients on podcasts like yours or other podcasts like that. Um, and the reason I made that switch is because one of the things we also do for our clients is monitor and track for the results that they're getting. So we'll look at how much website traffic did you get from an interview or a contribution? How many people signed up for your list? Um, if they're really sophisticated, how many of those people actually bought? And what we found is that people listening to podcasts um, were such better audiences. They were so much more engaged that our clients are getting better results. And this has been borne out. I've been lucky enough to be privy to some behind-the-scenes conversations from some people who are um, – like major businesses that we all know and recognize and major best-selling books. And they all talk about podcasts right now as being the thing that moves the needle for them. So even though traditionally PR, you think about these flashier outlets, it's honestly the podcasts that do the most. So that's a lot of my day-to-day work is just listening to podcasts, thinking about what they need, a lot of networking in that, and then storytelling, you know, figuring out um, like just before this – interview actually I had a, another client came out on the productive flourishing podcast with Charlie Gilkey and I was listening to the interview because it's like well I've been pitching her for a while maybe something came up in this interview that I can use that's a little fresh you know so I'm always doing things like that like tweaking and, and enhancing what we can do so honestly my day looks like a lot of walking around with headphones while I'm doing chores running to my notebook to write things down and then just tons of emails <laughs> sending out lots of emails it's very glamorous with my cats. <laughs> I definitely want to dig into podcasting and pitching yourself for, for podcasts. I mean, we get hundreds of pitches a week. And so we can certainly share that side of things, like being the platform that PR reps are trying to get their clients onto. Um, so I want to dig into that in a little bit. Before that, no, I wanted to talk about kind of the blend between PR marketing and branding because there is like such an overlap and I feel like that's um for the three of us even that's like where we flourish and really get along and we speak all the same language there like Emily's busting out our marketing plan and I'm really thinking about our branding and how it's going to look and feel and even the positioning of what we're writing and then Bridget you are also thinking about the angle and the story and also the positioning and the marketing and so do you feel like you're a gatekeeper for all of those things or are you thinking about how we leverage those assets and like gathering all those assets and seeing how we best put it out there like kind of describe to me the difference and where you really feel like you fit in there. Yes, I am so glad that you brought this up because this is one of those other ways that I think PR has had to change, Um, especially with the advent of things like influencer marketing or online media. When I was working in the agency, 
I don't know, 13 years ago, I had an opportunity to join the emerging digital branch of the PR agency. And I remember somebody in the practice being like, well, I don't understand how we're going to track results with digital PR. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, this is better. Like you actually, I think that actually they were afraid of what was going to happen when clients had more data, you know, is really what was going on there. And so now that we have more data and more ability to track, our role is much more integrated than it ever has been before. So we've always been really involved in the positioning and messaging and storytelling side. And I do think there's a lot of overlap. Like the best PR teams are integrated fully within marketing and often within sales. So it's going to be better when you have somebody thinking about external audience perception and reputation and things involved in those conversations. But now we're also looking at things like funnels and SEO and optimization. So a big part of what I do for my clients are actually like in the small details. So I'll give you a really simple example. One of the things that I instantly can help people with is if you go on and do an interview, so if you're on a podcast, at the end of every show, the host is going to ask you, like, where can we find you? What's next, right? The worst thing you can possibly do is rattle off like every single social media platform you have and your website and give people a million options. And it's true of all media opportunities, but especially the podcast, you have 45 minutes, maybe an hour to talk about your area of expertise. People are there with you, right? They're really going there with you. They're really engaged with what you have to say. So instead of giving them a million options, you should give them a very clear invitation of something they can go download or check out next that ties into what you've just talked about. And so one of the early things that I'll do with people is map out what is that customer journey like and what would be the landing page and what's the funnel that's warming them up. And so those are the ways where it totally gets a blurred line because that can be somebody like me. It could be somebody like either of you and what your agencies do. Like there's just a lot of overlap. And I think integration between all of those parts is so incredibly important these days and where you actually see the results. Like that's the unglamorous kind of behind the scenes stuff that really makes it work. I also want to point out here how important it is, like because there is such an integration and because like hiring someone like you plugs into more than one place in your business, how important it is to have a really strong understanding of what those pieces of your business are. I know, you know, in hiring you, if we hadn't had those things in place, you would not have been nearly as effective as you have been because we had that really strong foundation there. So I just want to plug in here that like a PR person isn't here to solve all of those problems for you. They're here to plug in where it is that um, where you already have this firm foundation and so that they can take that and run with it because you're not here to solve all those other gross problems. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. PR cannot save a failing business, you guys. Like everybody thinks that like, oh, I'm going to work with a PR person. They're going to get me an Oprah and it's going to save my business. And that is not true. If you don't have the, the systems in the back end of your business and proof of concept, a major PR opportunity can actually break your business. I was um, about to say like with the Oprah example, yeah. we think about that all the time. Do we have the capacity to handle an appearance on Oprah? At this point, yes, because we have a book to sell. And then after they buy the book, we have more funnels where they can continue to buy into. And we have the system set up where it's all completely automated. But I think Tim Ferriss has talked about this as well. He's mentioned people before, like specific VAs, and tanked their business. They got one-star reviews because they couldn't respond to all the inquiries that they were getting fast enough. And you're absolutely right. Like, 
Yes. Yeah. And that's actually the Oprah effect that is the name for that. So there's a really famous case of, I think it's like a cupcake store in New York that she mentioned on air. And so many people went to it. They sold out. They had no product and their business actually shut down because of all the negative Yelp reviews. So there is a thing like you need to be able to manage the increased exposure. Now that said, you can always start small, right? You don't have to start with Oprah. In fact, these days you can't, Oprah doesn't break people anymore. Um, so that those days are kind of past, but you can always start small and leverage your way up. But like to Emily, back to your point, like it's totally true. And you guys are an example of like the absolute best clients to work with because you have a strong team backing you. You have a really strong idea of what your message is. You have a strong brand. Um, and you know, you're able to take an opportunity and, and run with it. And, and I think a big part of it too is an attitude, right? You're like willing to show up because I've worked with lots of clients who, you know, I've come and said, okay, we need a landing page and I've recommended it. And they have an attitude where they're like, okay, I can do that. Like, when do you need it? Um, but if you're going to be in that place where you're going to al- allow sort of your inner critic to bubble up at every step and paralyze you, then you're not going to be able to make the most of the opportunities and it'll probably be really miserable for you. And so you need to have that kind of, I'm just going to try this. I'm going to experiment along the way and see how it goes. And I'm a real big um, believer in tracking the results. I have this like really crazy fancy dashboard with all these linked things and I do tiny tests. I'll change the subject line on one, a couple of emails and see what difference that does or the first sentence or um, follow up is key. So I'll change the follow up and test and then I, you know, have a document where it's like, here's all the tests that are working. So just know too that like, it doesn't have to be like you don't have to be at the level of you guys like of being boss before you start but you have to have this attitude where you can handle some tests you can handle just trying things out and like you guys always said you're you're ready to do the work i think that one of the things that you talked about and this might be a good segue into podcasting and getting on podcasts and how that can really move the needle is one that oprah isn't necessarily breaking the news anymore whenever it comes to really cool brands or products. And I think that it really is happening on this more grassroots level. And so even us, we all three of us decided together to have a Being Boss launch team. And the people on our launch team aren't necessarily what you might think of as, you know, capital I influencers. But we know that even if they have a hundred Instagram followers and they're promoting our book, that their conversion to those hundred people is going to be higher than what even might be blasted by like a huge capital I influencer. Though we love our capital I influencers. We love you. Please share our book. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, do us all a favor. (laughs) Go share it right now. (laughs) But part of it is that um, you have to have a process for putting yourself out there and that you have to make showing up a part of your system that you put as much time and energy into as you would writing a newsletter or any of the other things that you do in your business that um, are like marketing and outreach. So can you talk a little bit about creating a system or a process for pitching yourself regularly? Yeah. When people are just starting out, I actually recommend exactly what you're saying is just a really low key process. And so the place I typically recommend is just setting aside a couple of hours a week. So maybe it's two hours Tuesday morning to pitch, pick one and pitch one. Um, And so I think podcasts, and we can talk about why, but they're the easiest place to start. And so when I say pick one and pitch one, I mean, 
Take your phone, look in the podcast app, search a keyword. So being boss, you know, search the word creative entrepreneur. Like what is your identity in a business owner? Find a podcast that interviews people like you and then send them an email with a show idea. Um, and I'm sure you guys, I know you guys want to talk about what that looks like, um, what that pitch looks like, but that's the sort of thing that you can do in two hours, get it done. It's very low key. One of the things that will happen is that I'll hear from people and they'll get stuck on like, I don't know who to reach out to, right? I hear that from people all the time. Like it's not my job to know all the podcasts out there. And it absolutely a hundred percent is not. But once you find one or two, then you can look and see what the related shows are that are being referred to you. And you can just start really small with a couple and you don't need a list of 20 to 50 to start. Um, and for something like with what we're doing, where there's a book launch, you know, we're pitching our list. Well, it was podcasters, it was influencers, like 150, 200 strong, right? Don't do that. Don't try to think about a big campaign or something crazy like that if you're just starting out. Just flex that muscle because pitching is flexing your self-promotion muscle and that feels really gross for most of us, right? And it's something that the more you do it and the more you normalize it, the better you'll get at it. And it's a skill whether you want to be on a podcast or selling more products, like it's an essential skill for running a business. You cannot get around it. So one of the things that I think is really important is maybe even contacting your friends first. So many people are starting podcasts and your friends are probably looking for guests, especially if they're starting out small. And this can give you really great practice. It can give you practice speaking on a podcast, which isn't, it's it's so interesting. And I didn't think of it this way to start off with whenever I was having conversations on podcasts, but it's somewhere in between like a coffee chat and a full on keynote presentation. And it can, you know, run the gamut between the two, just depending on your style. My style is definitely conversational. I can hop on on any podcast and just pretend like it's conversation and not even think about the fact that it's blasting out to, you know, thousands of people for better or worse. So I think that that's a great place to start. Don't just make to me nervous practice. in the middle of this I interview. Know, <laughs> I know. Well, whenever you were talking about like listening to, you know, your clients on podcasts, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Oh no, Bridget's going to listen to my podcast and give me some coaching, some training, which is also, again, fine because that's the that's the kind of person I want the feedback from, right? Is that trusted inner circle. I don't care about the hater giving me one star. I care about that, you know, trusted inner circle. Oh, speaking of one star, Bridget, can you share your tip? This is kind of a tangent. Your tip for not looking at one stars or looking at five stars, but doing your research whenever it comes to pitching. Yeah, Do you know what I'm is, talking about? Well, just in terms of like how to look at the ratings and reviews or... Yes. Yeah. This is a funny thing because like in most of my PR career, I've had access to a database. Um, I've always used something called Cision. It costs like thousands of dollars, but you get access to like what somebody's reaches. And with podcasts, they don't release that information to you at all. You know, if it's a bigger podcast with... Um, uh, sponsors. That's what I'm looking for. You might be able to get their media kit. And so I use ratings and reviews as like a proxy for engagements. And so I actually don't really look at the star level, although now you're making me think maybe I should do that more, but I don't usually do that. I just look at like how many ratings and reviews do people have because, you know, that to me just shows how engaged their audience is and also how savvy a podcaster is in marketing. So you guys know that like ratings and reviews, getting a big number of them is a special sauce to getting your podcast shown and suggested to more people. And so 
if I'm booking a client on a podcast, like I want them to be on a podcast where they are also thinking like marketers and promoting their show. Of course, that's the point. Um, so I use that as a proxy and a stand-in for engagement. And I just kind of set number and benchmark. So we were just talking about you're just starting out. I love the tip about reaching out to your friends. Another thing too, if you've never done an interview, that's the level where I'll say like, okay, start with um, podcasts that maybe have around 20 ratings and reviews. It shows that they have some traction, but that's a lower number. It's not a huge podcast that's unreachable. They're probably not getting as many pitches too. So you're not cutting through as much noise. Um, then a client that's starting to leverage up. So you can kind of ladder your way up once you get some interviews, go up to 40 and then 60 and then like 80 to 100 is the next benchmark. And then for a really big client, I'll look at only like 100 or above. But so those can be a really good way to just think about, you know, I, I'm just going to say, like, if I have a client who's never been on a podcast before, I'm not going to pitch them to you guys, right? Like, I'm going to start somewhere lower, show that they can give an interview, that they're really engaging, and you ladder them up from there. Although, I will say on the other flip side, like, I have a client who, um, her name is Janine Blackwell, and right out of the gate, she was on Entrepreneur on Fire, which is, like, one of the top business podcasts out there, Um But she had this past business and this huge track record. So, I mean, you can do that, but you definitely want to, I think it helps to have some media first and some experience. And also not to feel, like you talked about prep, like my very first interview is with this huge audience. Like, imagine all the, like, oh, that's going to come up for you as you prep for that. I think that might be a little bit of a roadblock for people too. Yeah, I want to talk about prepping really quickly. And I think we'll probably end up jumping back down to this. But since you just brought it up, one of my favorite things about working with you is how much you've helped us prepare for the podcast that we've been on. Um, And also, like another side of that is how much Kathleen and I can always tell if someone who we are interviewing is prepared. So can we talk about this preparedness for a second and how freaking important it is? Yes. (laughs) Totally. So what I what I do for you guys just to explain people listening is create this media prep document where it's it shows everything from and clients universally love this. It's like the background on what the podcast is, a couple of personal tidbits about them because maybe that'll come up, um, what the interview is going to be about because I'm pitching the client so they don't always know there's different topics and expected questions. And this prep is so freaking important. There is nothing worse than going on a podcast and at the very end, the host says something you like, so what's your favorite book? And you're like, uh, because you've never listened to the damn podcast and they catch you off guard, right? Like it's just clear to them. It's clear to the audience. The audience is listening because they're fans of the podcast. So if you do that, you've just lost a lot of goodwill. Um, So it's really important to prep. But I like to balance this because, you know, I'm a professional of systems without over prepping. So I'll listen to at least one full episode and then the beginning and the end of a couple others because those common questions are usually at the beginning and the end. Um, And another thing that I do, which you can do too, is so just to let you guys know, in my own Asana board, I have a huge checklist with everything that gets booked. And from when an interview is booked to when the interview goes live, there are 11 things on the checklist for me. Um, And one of the things on the checklist is to send like your media kit, your bio, and then some suggested interview topics or questions to the podcaster. Um, And so I always make sure that they have 
at the very minimum, like, you know, a bio that is really easy for them to use as an intro, which is kind of different than the bio on your website, right? Think about how somebody's going to introduce you. Um, and then either suggested questions or topics, or sometimes just simply like for you guys with the book, I've been sending people a couple of your podcast episodes. You have some mini-sodes talking about your book and the process. So I send those to people like you might want to check out this mini-sode and the book page. I send like three links over. And so I'm also helping the podcaster prep so they know what to talk to you about because a good show, they're going to do a lot of prep. And so if you give them the information, you can steer the interview the way you want to go. So you can prep yourself by thinking through what those questions you're going to get and you can prep them through the materials you give them first. This Being Boss episode is brought to you by 2020, where creative minds get authentic real-world stock photos. If you're looking to tell a true story through your brand to deliver an honest message to your audience on social media, the photos you use will matter. 2020 has crowdsourced millions of photos from a community of over 350,000 photographers, all available under a simple royalty-free license. Today, they're offering listeners of Being Boss a five-photo-free trial. To start yours right now, go to 2020.com slash beingboss. That's the word 20, then 20.com slash beingboss to get five free photos. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about podcasting. I mean, we've been talking about this the whole time. But I do you have any insights as to like why podcasting is moving the needle even more than traditional media at this point? Yeah, so this is something that, like I said, I've just been tracking and monitoring for my own clients. And then um, about a year ago, I stumbled upon some research by Edison Research, which is just this you know research group. And they did kind of a podcast survey because there's not a lot of data out there. And one of the really interesting pieces of data I found was that 85% of the people who start an episode listen to the full episode. I Like, you wow. guys can't see this. Yeah, there's like, Kathleen is making the craziest face right now. Yeah. <laughs> there was a jaw drop. Yeah. So like, imagine me on your show right now, 85 of the percent of the people who've tuned in are now going to listen to our full however long 45 minutes hour together right so just imagine that you have the opportunity to share your passion your expertise your story with a brand new audience for 45 freaking minutes like that is so powerful they are so there with you so i think that that like one stat alone kind of shows the proof of the you know the whole process because the engagement levels for podcasts are just unmatched. Compare that if um, an article in Fast Company comes across your Facebook feed, you might click on it. If you're lucky, you'll spend a minute on that article before you click on something else. So that engagement level, you just can't compare. And another thing that is surprising is that more than half of people actually listen to podcasts at home, not in the car. So, you know, if I'm sharing something with you or I give you my URL at the end or whatever, you're probably at home. You can go look that up, right? Um, you've just listened to me for 45 minutes. You're going to be more inclined to do that than in any other way. So this is why podcasts, I think, are so insanely powerful. 
Uh, High five, Kathleen. Yeah, right. (laughs) As we all go start podcasts. (laughs) I think that the world, you know, as fast as things are moving and there's so much more content out there, we are craving these deeper dives. And to be able to spend an hour with somebody, I even think about how I reached a turning point where now I can hardly watch interviews that are less than five minutes, like on a late night show. And five minutes is a long time for someone on a late night show. And I've noticed even more recently that like James Corden will get 12 minutes with somebody and that they're they're getting longer and longer and I wonder if part of that's because of this trend even in podcasting is kind of informing other pieces of media to say like hey hang on to that interview just a little bit longer let's chat a little bit longer people are craving these conversations that go just a little bit deeper I I could not agree more. I think that podcasts are proving to to the media really that people can go deep with you on concepts that uh, – and it's a little bit – it's easier for a podcaster because the audiences can be super niche, right? So something that is on a major network needs to apply to such an audience to the production co- – I mean, there's reasons for that, but th- I think that's also part of the engagement is that – there is a podcast out there. I do not care what your business is, what you do. There is a podcast that will talk to you about it. It is insane the level of depth that you can get with a podcast in terms of finding something that speaks to your interests. And so that's part of the engagement, right? These stats are there because there's a voice, there's a personality, there's the deep conversation. And because the best podcasts, the ones that are most focused, are really, I think, hyper-focused on um, – curating content and guests that are good for their audiences and understanding their audiences. And you have to protect that. That's a little bit of the conflict, right? Like I'm out there pitching people, but your job as a podcaster is to really protect your audience and make sure that they have the best experience possible. Um, and, And hopefully a good pitch helps you do that. That has been the biggest lesson learned in the past couple of years. If I could go back and know how much your guests that are on your show shape what your podcast becomes. I mean, and I think that we've done a good job. I'm so proud of all the guests that we've had, but we have certainly become way more intentional about who we're having on the show as we realize how valuable this platform is and also how much we care about our listeners and really giving them an experience that, I mean, if they're going to give us an hour plus of their time, we're going to try and make it worth it for sure. Okay, so speaking to people who want to be on podcasts, they want to get on more shows, let's talk about what makes a really great pitch. And I think that we could all jam (laughs) on this a little bit because we get a lot of pitches. I mean, probably how many do we get a week? Like 100, 200? Probably easily 100, I'm sure. And I've noticed I've started getting them in my Instagram. People have found my personal email. I mean, people are trying right. to get. Let's any talk which about way. how to do this correctly and incorrectly, guys, because that may be what this conversation becomes. <laughs> <laughs> I will say it has been such an enlightening experience for me because as part of our book launch process, I was helping you guys with influencer outreach, which made it necessary for me to get into your inbox, your being bus inbox. And so now I have been able to peek at some of the podcasts pitches you get and things like that. And um, the more clients I work with that actually have podcasts, I have another client who forwards me all of her worst pitches on the regular. Oh, <laughs> I know. I love that. You know what? Um, 
this is so shady, but it makes me feel so freaking good about myself <laughs> when I see these Good. Pitches. It's like shocking. I just saw this pitch the other day and I was like, so there's something that I call, should I call it like the Tim Ferriss pitch? I swear to God, he blogged about this at one point. Like, and it's the two cents pitch. It's the like, you know, I'm going to pitch you in two sentences because I'm such a hot shot. You should have me. And maybe it's not Tim Ferriss. I swear to God, I saw it on his blog at one point. But Tim Ferriss, if you're listening to this and it wasn't you and I'm shading on you, I'm really sorry. <laughs> and Tim Ferriss, if you're listening to this, holla <laughs> You can send us a two sentence. You can just send us an Instagram post. Whatever you want to send us, you're welcome on the show. Well, Kathleen, that's exactly my point, which is like if you're already famous – you can do that. But the majority of people that I work with are not famous. And I think there's this thing, too, where in our internet business world, one of the things I often talk to my clients is about is, like, the difference between internet famous within your niche and being, like, real world famous, like, People Magazine famous, right? And that, like, the people that you really are admiring and pitching, on the grand scheme of things – the space between you is not that far. And approaching them as equals in terms of expertise and what you have to bring is actually a big part of what makes a big pitch is like there's a difference between a compliment and a grovel, you know? And um, I, I think though that the rest of us mere mortals do have to go the extra mile to really communicate value. Yeah, for sure. So let's talk about communicating that value. How is the best way to craft that email? What does it look like? Can you give us a formula? And how do you deliver it? In an email? (laughs) Not over Instagram? Not over Instagram. Not over tweet. No, I will say that I have been guilty of like hunting high and low to find an email address to send to somebody. I've even like you can search within Twitter, somebody's Twitter feed for the word email. Um, But that's because not everyone has an email or a contact form on their website. You guys have an email address on your website. It is not hard to find. So there's no excuse for going around that. And I think it's really important when a podcaster has a, a a clearly defined process. So I'll give you some tips and, and my process. But if you go to somebody's website and on their podcast page or their pod contact page, they say, here's how you contact me about the podcast. Respect that. Like most of the people who have podcasts are running other businesses, right? Like Emily and Kathleen each have their own businesses and this podcast to run. The process is there so that they can manage the pitches coming in and find people for the show. It is not there to block you. It's actually there to help everyone. And so if you find that, always follow their directions before you follow any sort of advice you get from me, another PR person, another podcaster. I don't care. Like respect those um, instructions, which yeah, because if a pitch yeah. ends up in my email or in my Instagram, like my personal email, it's gonna fall through the cracks. I delete like, them. It, I straight yeah. up delete them. <laughs> like I'm sorry, not sorry. But if it if it doesn't go where it needs to go, which is the email address on our Being Boss website, then I don't even read them. I delete them. Because in a way, they just showed you, like they don't respect you. I think. I mean. There's so I had you guys put like not a podcast contact on the press page and I still get pitches from people and I'm like it says right there and I get it from other publicists which drives me like when just a person does that then often I'll forward it on but when another publicist I have to admit I'm sometimes I don't always forward those on I feel bad but I'm like it says on the thing and also yeah 
breaking news. <laughs> but it's like, it's to me, it's just such a stunning lack of respect for, not for me, but for you, right? Like that you have a process. It's not hard to find an email address on your site. Now, I will say, I do think it's smart before you pitch a podcast to become friends with them on Instagram, to be following them, to comment on their posts, because that is going to make you a little bit more recognizable so that whenever you do send in the pitch, it's like, oh, I know this name. Oh, this person has actually been engaging with me for a while. And we notice these things and we're going to pay attention and give you that, you know, one leg up whenever it comes to getting on the show if you've already been an engaged follower. Yeah, people trust the people they know and recognize, right? And so that's like if you're going to do that kind of like, how do I how do I get underneath this? How do I get around this? How do I get, you know, my chance? Yes, follow us on all the social, engage, you know, do those things. But whenever it comes to the actual pitching process, do it through those systems. Okay, so once you do it through those systems and you're sending the email, what should we have in this email to best get on the show or to get our best chances? Yeah. I'm going to give you that, but first I want to give you a little piece of mindset because the mindset to me is everything. And so before you send the email, it is so important for you to understand that you are not asking for a favor. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. What you are doing is giving somebody who in part has the job of producing content an idea. And so if you can shift that energy from... I'm not asking them to do something for me, but we're going to do something together that is a mutual benefit to the audience. It totally shifts the energy of what comes next. And it almost doesn't matter what format your email takes because that will come through. One of the things I hear from people all the time is like, well, I don't want to pitch somebody because it feels like I'm raising my hand and being like, look at me. I'm so great and interesting. Have me on your show. Yeah, that's exactly what you're doing. No, it is not. Raise your your hand higher. All right. All right. Fair enough. I guess like for me, I'm like, it's, I mean, it is, but it isn't because it's like, it's not about you and your personal identity and your worthiness. It's really about the content and what you're going to give to the audience. And so shifting from I'm so great to I have something so great to teach you or share, I just feel like really shifts the energy of what comes through in your email. Um. So when it comes to writing an email, I actually have like a hack that I use for getting it in the right headspace for putting the email together. So what is it? Yeah. um, It's reading the show notes. So even more important to me than listening to a bunch of episodes before I pitch, I will read a bunch of show notes. Because what you want to do when you're pitching someone is ultimately show them This interview you're going to do with me is going to create a show that fits like flawlessly within your existing content. And what better way to do that than to model the tone, the structure, the format of your pitch actually off of their, off of the show notes. And what this also does is it gets you in this headspace of focusing on what the audience is going to take away. And so a lot of pitches focus overly much on social proof, which is important in your story. Um, I usually only devote like one or two sentences to actually a podcaster's story and background and social proof because guess what? We can link to your about page. <laughs> if they're interested in you, they can go look at more. Ultimately, you want your pitch focused on what the audience is going to get out of it, what you're going to teach or share or a lesson you learned or where you fell and got back up, like whatever it is. And so if you read the show notes, you like absorb how to put that together and then you can mirror that in your pitch. Um Your pitch should be shorter than the standard show notes, but generally the structure I like to have is um, 
you know, introducing kind of what your topic is and what it is that you're going to address and then sharing a little bit of background and then literally being like, here are the things I can speak to in the interview and like bulleting out what those takeaways are. And so that's where that really helps you figure out what kind of takeaways do they like? Like, is it about somebody's background? Is it about a teaching? Is it about, um, do they write their show notes like with the bullets, like headlines? Like, are they very, you know, how are they written? Um, It can really help you put your pitch together because then they can envision it like, oh, this is going to be perfect. It's going to fit right in. Yeah. And I will say on this side of things too, that being short and concise and not like too overly talking about yourself along with bullet points as to what it is that you can lend your expertise on, those things are the things that make us look at a pitch more than like a whole life story and a whole bunch of links and attachments. Yeah, I've seen you guys get a lot of these pitches where somebody will send like the whole this entrepreneur and their journey and all the places have been featured, but there's no topic, right? And right. and when somebody pitches you that way, they're asking you to do all the work to envision what the show would be about because your episodes are topical, right? Your episodes are not focused on like Bridget Lyons PR expert. They're focused on like what is my audience going to get out of this? What am I going to teach the bosses in the audience? And If I want to be on your show or somebody wants to be on your show or any other podcast, right, this is even down to, I mentioned the 20 and unders, right? It is not their job to envision that for you. That is your job (laughs) just to put that forward. I want to talk about form letters for a second because I feel like there has been tons of info for years at this point about using form letters, but this far into it for us, I can smell a form letter from a mile away and I find it to be a little bit of a turnoff whenever I'm reading through, you know, tens, hundreds of pitches. I want the ones that are going to be, that are really personable and like super authentic. So what do you have to say? about forming out your pitches? Oh, man, this is such a hard topic for me particularly because like I manage a bunch of clients and so I have to find efficiencies. And yet what you're saying is totally right. And so I think there's always a little bit of push and pull involved in this. One of the things that helps the most with this is that So I teach like classes, you know, I I do a mastermind. I just wrapped up this mastermind with people of teaching them how to book themselves on podcasts. So in addition to doing the work, I do a lot of training. And in that training, I almost always include a pitch review process. And it is an absolute requirement when you submit a pitch to me in a course that you tell me who it's going to. And the reason I do that is because the first pitches you write have to be directed to specific podcasts. So I think immediately that takes away some of the issue because writing a pitch where you're just thinking like, okay, I'm going to pitch myself as an expert and this is going to go to a bunch of podcasts is going to come across like a form letter. It's going to be very disconnected. It's not grounded in actually a real show in the real world. And so already if you start by picking a podcast, writing a pitch for that one, then picking another one. You can go back to that pitch now and say like, does this work for another one? Because it's similar. Can I modify it and tweak it? You don't have to start from scratch. But I always do spend, when I'm sending out a pitch, I don't mass send out pitches. I always spend, you know, sometimes five minutes on the short end, sometimes 30 minutes or to an hour on the long end, but tweaking it and figuring out like what makes it fit. And and sometimes it's just word choice and tone. So if you're being pitched to a bunch of people to talk about your book, um, here's a, sim- a really simple example, right? That is a little bit formulaic. Like we want people talking about your your book, but 
maybe their audience is creative entrepreneurs or maybe their audience is um, like we have booked you on a podcast where she's like, I don't talk to business people. I'm really talking more to people about like life skills and taking risks. And so if I use the words creative entrepreneur in that pitch, she's automatically like, no. So it can be just really simple tweaks to the the language and the tone of your pitch to match it for different things. But ultimately, if you start by grounding yourself in a real show, rather than thinking about this very abstract podcast pitch, like what is that? I don't know what that is. Um, it's going to almost automatically solve that problem for you. Yeah, for sure. At that point, it's less about changing out just the name of the podcast in the form yes. letter, but really looking at some of those like smaller words that you can, you know, tweak the tone. Because agreed, and I, I say all that to say that I've seen some very bad form letter pitches in my day, yeah. but I've also seen some that I knew were form letters that were actually done really, really well. So I am all about, you know, systemizing and making things easier, but also in putting in a little extra effort because it absolutely shows. Can we talk a little bit about the compliment here too? Oh, yes. That's exactly what I was about to mention was the compliment because this is kind of a part of a formula that we see. So we've seen this so many times that we can dissect it where it's, hey, oh, my favorite bad pitch recently was, hey, Kathleen or like Holly and Shannon. Like, I think they got both of our names wrong, but it was like, hey, Holly and Shannon or you know, it's so funny, even on the spine of our book, I got them to put our full names because it was just Thompson and Shannon. And I said, I have so many people call me Shannon. I need you to put my first name on there too, if that's okay. And they did, which right. was awesome. But, but, but this, anyway, this is not for this this pitch. <laughs> so they're like, hey, hey, Holly and Shannon, I love being bossy. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> me too, girl. Me too. <laughs> but 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 the good one. So hey Emily and Kathleen, love being boss. Such a fan of the show. I listened to this most recent episode and this most recent episode. Loved blank regurgitating a blurb from the show notes. I loved whenever you said this and this. And I can tell that they didn't actually listen to it. So it's one thing to get pitched. It's one thing to be told a lie. And like I think that whenever that compliment is a lie, it straight up offends me. Like I can see through it. I can I know that you're not actually listening to my show and that you just pulled those from my show notes. So I'd rather you be authentic and have no idea about my show or maybe not no idea but like I'd rather you tell me what you know or focus more on yourself or whatever than spending all this time complimenting me if it's not even real yes I actually tell people that a compliment is a risk right and and also like we were talking about length like Emily was talking about the length so I try to counsel people to eliminate the scroll that if somebody has to scroll down in the email window of your pitch it's too long and so sometimes you just don't even have room <laughs> for a compliment but I think a compliment is a risk because Unless the compliment is incredibly specific and heartfelt. And by specific, what I mean is not copying and pasting from someone's show notes, but like mentioning something in an episode that moved you and specifically how, right? Or something that you changed or even launching it to say like, God, I just heard Bridget talk about this PR stuff. That's all crap. Like I want to talk to you about it, like whatever. I mean, maybe don't do it exactly like that, but pushing against um, like boundaries or people's preconceptions are can be a really great way to formulate a pitch. So you can do that, but your your compliments, if you're going to give them, have to be concrete, specific, and really heartfelt and genuine. And exactly when you're getting pitch after pitch after pitch with these 
just buttering you up insincere notes, it feels gross. It feels really bad. Yeah, I think there's a lot to say about about thinking about how many pitches someone gets. And if you are just using a simple form letter and you're not being sincere with your compliments and you're pitching to a podcast that you know has thousands and thousands of listeners, you can bet they're getting hundreds and hundreds of pitches and yours is nothing special if you're not putting something special into it. Okay, I want to talk about utilizing connections because this is something I think is really important. If you are wanting to be on a podcast, look at the previous guests and see if you know anybody or if you know anybody that knows anybody and ask for an introduction. So Bridget, you were talking about in your mastermind class, reviewing a pitch to a specific podcast. And I recently had a creative colleague, friend of mine, reach out saying like, hey, I'm about to pitch my first podcast. Would you mind even just looking over my letter? And it was to a specific specific podcasts and a podcast that I had been on before. And I was like, oh, hey, I've been on that podcast before. Do you want me to make an introduction before you make the pitch? And all the things that you're saying, one of the tones that I noticed that she took in it is that she was incredibly apologetic. Like at the end, she was like, I'm so sorry for pitching you, but I have to at least try. Like you don't get what you don't ask for. Like, let me just try. And I was like, okay, you can just take that part out. You don't have to apologize for asking to be on the show. Um... And then another thing that I noticed, and I'm just using her as a case study without mentioning who it is, but um, really tailoring it to the audience versus, and Emily and I even struggled with this in actually writing the book. Like when are we writing about our experience versus making it universal for our audience rooted in our experience and findings? And so just kind of that little tweak as well. Anyway. I can't, sorry, I don't know what my question was. I don't know if I had one. <laughs> asking for the introduction. Oh, asking for the introduction. So do you think that that is, do you think that there's a fine line there whenever it comes to looking at a podcast and seeing who you're connected with potentially and asking for an introduction? No, I think, I actually did an interview a few years back with uh, Srinivas Rao, who has the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, and he talks about that, that the majority of his guests get referred to him by other guests. And it's not a shoo-in that you'll be on the show, but it's one of the only ways that he accepts submissions. And this is an important note. Like every podcaster, every media person is going to have their own quirks, right? Like Pat Flynn doesn't accept um, PR pitches. Uh, other people don't accept pitches at all. And and so you can't worry about that, right? You can't worry about every scenario. You can just put your best foot forward. And an and introduction always helps. I, It's so funny because it's like it helps. And I also try not to overemphasize it because most people in my experience just don't believe that you can cold pitch yourself. And so I'm so in the mindset of like, you know, you have to get in this or you don't have to, but like if you have these bigger goals that require visibility, then you do have to like get over that feeling and be willing to put yourself out there. Um, but but yeah, and a big misconception about PR is that like contacts, right? That the best thing a PR person brings to your project is contacts. And I actually think, I don't think that's true. Um, when I started my PR career, Nobody in the agency shared contacts. We would pitch projects and they would send out all agency emails, like send us all your high-level contracts or contacts and they'd put it in the proposal to a client and then they'd never come back to you and ask you to do that. So I, I have a really kind of cynical view of that. I mean, it helps, right? If you know me and I send you an email, you're going to open it and read it. But ultimately, it's the story and the angle I think that 
that matters the most. And then if you have the contact, it's just like the icing on the cake. I also think that if you're not pitching the actual podcast, now you're pitching your contact and that is a relationship that you want to protect as well. And you can only have so many asks, right? So I think that that's also something to be very cognizant and careful of. If you're asking that person a favor, that might be the only favor you ever get to ask them. And is it that you want to be on a certain podcast that they were on? And so be aware of that as well. Yeah, that like totally goes back to what we've been doing with your book marketing. Like one of the things that I've been helping you guys with is like, what's the best and most important ask for the influencers that you're connected with? Um, And it's so interesting because in my career, you know, I've had clients be like, have you followed up with this person? Have you followed up with them? And like I had one client who wanted me following up with my contacts like daily. And it's like you can't, you have to protect your relationship above all. And um I always have to look at the long-term relationship more than the short-term result. Like there's always going to be another project. And so there is a total balance between um, what you need right now and what you can nurture for the future. But on the flip side, like people tend to not ask enough, you know? So it's like, like don't be a jerk about it and ask for things that aren't all that important or more than you need. But, you know, if you really have something legit, like I had one contact for a long time who would say, oh, how can I help you? How can I help you? And I kind of kept it in my pocket for years. And by the time I went with an ask, it was in some ways like the, we didn't have much of a relationship anymore. So there's a danger in that too. Good to keep in mind. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about follow-up. So once you've pitched a podcast, this is the other thing that we get. We have an automated response. Sorry, I'm not trying to turn this into bitch fest. And no, no, I think it awesome. can be a you little bit. You all are welcome to pitch us. It's fine. I feel like everyone experiences this because no one really knows how this works. Or most importantly, what all of this is a result of is people either not reading or not caring when they read something. So it's not a bitch fest. It's just like, hey, guys, this is how it works in the world. Because speaking of reading, if someone pitches us, they get an automatic reply that says, hey, thanks for contacting us. If you're pitching us for the podcast and we don't get back to you, it means either A, you aren't a good fit, or B, we're booked out months in advance, which is the case. Basically, we're booked out for the rest of 2018 at this point. Um, or we've taken note and we've put you on a list and we will reach back out when it's a good fit or when we have the time to get you in our schedule. And then we will get sometimes up to three to four responses. And I can imagine this being like, let's say someone were working for you, Bridget, and they didn't have the autonomy or agency to read those instructions and follow those over maybe your instructions of, hey, you need to follow up twice. You know, like maybe that's your process through your PR agency, but then they're not following ours. I would imagine that in your agency, you would have the the process of like listen to the podcast or, or yeah. would you not? Like, do you still follow up anyway? And how do you feel about follow up? So let's talk about follow ups. I literally got asked this question in my mastermind yesterday, and it is such a hard one for me to speak to because – On one end of the spectrum, you have the PR people who will totally advocate for following up until you get the no. And let me just put it out there. Four out of the five pitches you send are just, you're going to get no response. You're not going to get a no. You're not going to get a whatever. You're just going to get nothing back. And it's, it's hard. And on top of that, following up works. About 60 to 70% of the placements we get are from sending a follow-up email. So it's really hard to know 
like what boundaries to to follow around those things and whatnot. Um, my personal policy for my agency, what I recommend is um, we almost always follow once. And actually, Kathleen, we've kind of talked about this before. You know, it's like the follow and the rationale behind the following up once is like, you know, we've all had that experience where we've received an email and we've been in the middle of something and we've meant to respond to it and we've forgotten it. And we're actually like, I've had a million times that someone's followed up with me and I've been grateful, right? Um, because, totally, because totally. I haven't had the time. And so that's where um, my general baseline is to follow up once. And then, you know, you can always make exceptions for that. Um, and it's a real judgment call. So like if somebody individually emails me, like if somebody on your team was to email me and say something, I'd be much less likely than with an autoresponder. Um, I have disregarded autoresponders like that and followed up, although more when they're not about the podcast, but they're like general contact, right? Right. And so I think- it's very specific outlining all the things you might be contacting us for and why or how we'll get back to you or not. Yeah. So I think that there's like different levels there and ultimately- it's really a judgment call and it's a hard thing to balance. I would never follow up more than once in that scenario. The other thing that I do and counsel is, so when I say 60 to 70% of the results, like I actually measured this a few years ago, right? Like how many of our placements actually came from the initial pitch or the follow-up? And so it was over half were from the follow-up. And so I'm like, we would have terrible results for our clients if we didn't do this, right? Um, but we only follow up once. And ultimately, just the very act of following up is usually enough. But I always try to go above and beyond and add something. So your pitch has to be short, right? There's always something that you want to include that you have to cut out. And so sometimes it can be something like um, actually sending a podcaster hey, by the way, like so-and-so just had an episode come out on this other podcast, you might want to check it out. Or they were just profiled here. Or they just wrote this blog post on this exact topic. So Okay, yes, I love, oh. love this. Sorry to interrupt you. <laughs> I think okay. it's like more of the sense of entitlement whenever I get follow-ups that are like, did you see this? Oh, don't say that. And it's like, <laughs> and it's like no, I don't want to put your SEO link in my website for 100 bucks. Like, I don't. Please stop following up <laughs> with me. And so, or, you know, that's that's like an extreme example because I feel like those are the ones that you get, that you ignore and you get like four or five times. But um, I do love the idea of maybe now including that social proof. Like, hey, this person was just on this podcast or here's something that they wrote that you might be interested in. I think that that is Which is really... less about follow-up and more about adding more value to the pitch. Like, there is a difference there between just like, hey, did you see this? I'm just checking in. And hey, I'm like helping you make this decision a little easier for you. Yeah, totally. And sometimes I'll like, I have a client who was on a podcast. Um, it's not a New York Times podcast, but two New York Times writers host the podcast, right? And so I did a test where sometimes I put it in the pitch and sometimes I put in the follow-up because I wanted to see like which one worked better. And honestly, they both like this actually is the client. You guys had her on the show, Jenny Nash, right? The book coach. No, you didn't have her on the show. Why did I think you did? Um, I think I just introduced you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we've been t- we've been chatting with her. I she's think, on your again, list. <laughs> yes, she's on our list. So she's like incredible. She is like she has such a wealth of knowledge, and because she's a book coach, like everybody wants to talk to her because everybody wants to know how to write a book, right? And so for her, it didn't matter so much. But that's when I talk about like doing little tests. Is like I'll hold something in reserve, um, and you guys right now, like you have 
coverage coming out all the time. And so it's so natural to say, like, this just came out last week. I thought you might be interested. It goes right along with this topic. Um, and that seems to work really well. Okay, the last one of the last things I want to talk about, because I know we need to wrap up, is timing whenever it comes to pitching a podcast with your launch. Like, what do you think that the scale of timing is? When sh- should you be pitching year round in general just to keep your audience engaged and k- to get new people? Should you be pitching one to two months before a specific launch? Like, how does this work? Yeah, it is really, really hard to time podcast appearances. So, you know, you guys just you just mentioned like your show is basically booked up for 2018. We are recording in the beginning of March, right? Um, so it is really hard to time. Some podcasts have long lead times. And so what a lead time is, is like there's the lead time between, hey, I want you in the podcast to recording the interview. That can be four to six months. And then from the show actually airing, which can be another couple of months, right? Or another show could have you do the interview and air it within 30 days. So it's just really hard to time that process. Um, And I would say in terms of timing, kind of the only constant is that the majority of podcasters are humans and like to slow down over the summer. So like just don't try to pitch too much in July and August. (laughs) It's just brutal. I focus on other work usually. And I would say just always have something to sell. So if you're not in an active launch, maybe you're telling someone to go to your opt-in and that's the very specific action that you want to take. If it does coincide with your book launch or your, you know, whatever launch. And also remember this, people are listening to podcasts in perpetuity. So like no one is just, people are going through archives. And so if you have a very specific launch timing, especially if it's a program like a mastermind group or a live event, it's going to be outdated by the time some people listen to your show. So I think that it is important to consider that your podcast episode is going to be evergreen. And if you're pitching something that someone can always buy, then you're good to go. If you're pitching something that somebody can always opt into, you're good to go. If it's even just creating brand awareness for your own brand and all you're doing is building trust and credibility through your appearances, that's okay too. You don't always have to be overly promoting something, even though that's yeah where a lot of the pitches come from. Yeah, I mean, it could just be simple list building or credibility building. I mean, people do this for all sorts of different kinds of reasons, right? Podcasts can be message testing, right? Like (laughs) seeing what people respond to. Um, You can do it around a launch. And what I would say to that is 90% of the people should be doing podcast pitching all year round. So what I said, once, you know, one pitch a week or one pitch a month even, you know, whatever it is. Um, And then if you do have a big launch, you want to time around, you want to be looking at least six months in advance. Like, six to eight months to give people a time frame. So when you're setting the pitch up, you're giving people a context of this is what it's for. This is when I'd like to come out. And a lot of people will work with you on that, but they need the notice. I love it. And I will say too, just to even like start wrapping us up is that one of the things that I've really taken from our engagement with you is I feel like Kathleen and I are always saying, you know, pitch yourself, put yourself out there, share your content, you know, get on other people's platforms and, you know, in order to grow your own brand. And I feel like we've been saying that for a really long time not having to do it very much ourselves because we have a platform that brings lots of people to us. But I will say that working with you has proven to me how important that is. I've felt the momentum of of that comes from 
putting yourself out there in as many places as you possibly can. And it's definitely renewed this want in me to do this more continuously because this is how you grow your brand and business for sure. Same agreed. I feel like we have certainly, you know, like paid you to do this for us, which has been amazing. But you're kind of that PR rep who's going to also teach your clients how to fish so that they're always eating some fish. Anyway, so... I certainly imagine that we are going to include this in a part of our process and continue to move forward using everything that we've learned from you. So thank you so much. Like we've loved having you in our corner. We went into this not even knowing what we didn't know. And um, you've really helped us bridge the gap between us and then our PR team over at Running Press, who has been incredible and amazing, but really using you in this non-traditional route and really focusing on podcasts specifically and using them for the more traditional coverage has just been this like a dream team. So thank you so, so much. A couple more things. What are you working on right now? Like, where can our listeners find you? How can they learn more from you, just like we have learned from you? Yeah. Well, I was actually thinking about a little bit about some of the things before this interview that, like, kind of hold people back. And one of the biggest things I hear from people are, like, going back to that, like, what do I say? Like, what is making my brand so interesting? Why would somebody want to um interview me. And so what I did for you guys is I excerpted from my program, Get Booked on Podcasts. It's where I teach people how to do this. It's my total, it's a toolkit and there's a mastermind component if you want it. But there's a section there that's like a worksheet on how do you come up with what those topics are. So I want to give that to your listeners. They can check it out at bridgetlyons.com forward slash being boss. So you can go there, download that, work through it. I'll also send you some information about the program and how to work with me if you want to do that because, you know, we love empowering people. And for me, it's so funny because it's like when I started, I was doing a lot of training and then I started doing the client work and I just realized like, I don't know if you guys or your listeners can really relate to this, but I didn't enjoy the training without the one-on-one work. Like I love both. I love mentoring and empowering people. And when I teach somebody and they got their own thing, like they fished and brought it home, I'm more excited than actually what our agency does. But you need the client work to keep yourself fresh and getting up every day, I think. Um, So it's a really nice balance. So I wanted to give that to you guys and some extra information. Um, because this podcast outreach is a huge part of what we're doing. And, you know, we've done that for your book. We did influencer campaign, pre- or like so much. Um, there's so Launch many different things to think campaigns. about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there were a lot of ideas that you came to us with that we were like, oh, we just can't. <laughs> we just- <laughs> Thank you. I'd rather you come with more ideas and us say, oh, we can't than to not have enough. So I appreciate yeah. you so much. Can you just say that URL one more time for our listeners? Yeah, it's BridgetLyons.com forward slash being boss. And then what's making you feel most boss lately? Oh my gosh. I feel so emotional right now. So one of the things that has been emerging actually is the work that I've been doing for you guys. It's happened totally naturally. It is not work that I set like set out really to do. So I worked by chance with Daniel Laporte on the launch of her desire map a few years ago. And then I had a meeting with Chris Gillibo where he was like, you should do book PR because like all these reasons, right? And then like I started working with you guys. And since then I picked up this other client, Amber Ray, who has a book coming out a month after yours. And I'm working with a book coach. And it's been this emerging area of my business. And the reason it makes me feel so boss is because a couple of things. 
One is that I've gotten like all this incredible feedback from people who have bestsellers that the things that we're doing are the things that sell books. So I feel like the thing that I'm doing with my company, it's not as sexy or as flashy as like today's show or, or what have you, right? But it's actually something that's making a real difference for clients. Um, so it, it's like this incredible validation in terms of the work that I'm doing. And on the other side, it makes me feel boss because being boss is more than just about the work. It's about your life. And I am a nerd and I like to read. I read like a book or two a week. And so whenever I work with a client, I get to read their book before it comes out. And it's not a work measure, but it's like a personal thing where it's like being the girl who used to get grounded for reading too much and would like crack open the bathroom door so that I could like read my book at night when I was supposed to be sleeping. And like now I'm repping people with their books. It's like, it feels really good. It feels really boss. I love that. Yay, book nerds. And I I agree. Like one of the super boss things in our life right now is getting advanced reader copies of things. And there's just something like even if it's a day, even if it's getting a book a day early, it makes you feel a little more special. It it, doesn't it feel like you're being let into some secret club or something? It just feels really, really good. So. I know. I was joking about like, I love getting swag. I love it whenever people send us stuff. But even more than that, I just want all the books in yeah. advance. I love it so much. <laughs> I know. You get to see like the gift before it comes into the world. And I don't know. It's cool to feel like you're a part of something like that. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Hey, bosses. I want to tell you about the CEO Day Kit. The CEO Day Kit is 12 months of focus planning for your business in just one day. So Emily and I have packaged up the exact tools that we've been consistently using for years that have helped us grow from baby bosses to the CEOs of our own businesses. Gain clarity, find focus, get momentum, prioritize your time, make better decisions, and become more self-reliant with the CEO Day Kit. Go to courses.beingboss.club to learn more and see if it's a fit for you and your business. We'd like to give a shout out to our partner, FreshBooks Cloud Accounting. You can try it for free for 30 days, no credit card needed, and cancel anytime. Just go to freshbooks.com slash beingboss and enter beingboss in the how did you hear about us section. Special thanks to our sponsor, 2020, who is offering our Being Boss listeners a five-photo free trial. To start yours right now, go to 2020.com slash beingboss. That's the word 20, then 20.com slash beingboss to get five free photos. Thank you for listening to Being Boss. Find articles, show notes, and downloads at www.beingboss.club. Thank you so much to our team and sponsors who make Being Boss possible. Our sound engineer and web developer, Corey Winter. Our editorial director and content manager, Caitlin Brame. Our community manager and social media director, Sharon Lukey. And our Bean counter, David Austin, with support from Braid Creative and Indie Shopography. Do the work, be boss, and we'll see you next week.